In the Gospel it says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, who is called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. St. Francis de Sales, we're going to stick with him a little bit longer, says that the divine love seated on the heart of the Savior beholds through the window of his pierced side all the hearts of the children of men. For our Lord, being the King of hearts, keeps his eyes always fixed on hearts. And he quotes the scriptures, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, and therefore have I drawn thee, taking pity on thee. Now God, the good God, knowing the heart of each and every individual one of us, knows just how to draw our hearts to his. The goodness of God, think of it, condescends to individual weaknesses of each soul, and he never treats any two souls exactly the same. Some he draws with an incredible sweetness, and others, well, they need a firm hand for a guide. But this fact, I think, becomes clear when we look at how our Lord treated each of the disciples after his resurrection from the dead, how he gradually moved each doubting soul to believe. For St. John, for example, it was enough that he got to see the empty tomb and the winding sheets so neatly folded and laid aside, he then remembered the scripture about the resurrection, and it said that he went away believing. You see here that the pure in heart are often the quickest to see and recognize truth. Or then there are the two disciples going away to Emmaus. They were walking along, talking about the events of, that had just occurred, when they were joined by a stranger who turned out to be our blessed Lord. He joined in on the conversation and spoke to them so eloquent, eloquently that it says the disciples' hearts burned within them, burned with great desires. They invited him to their lodging that night, and it was there that he made himself known in the breaking of bread. Or then there is St. Mary Magdalene. She was one of those loving souls, kind of like the little flower. She, she could not leave the empty tomb that Easter morning, not until she knew where her Lord was. Love it was that made her persevere by that empty tomb, and it was her perseverance in seeking for Christ that paid off. She loved him so much, she loved her God so much, that whether she returned home, as did the other disciples, or stayed at the empty tomb, her heart would find no peace 
not until she saw her Lord and Master. But our Lord knew her heart, and he appeared, hidden at first under the appearances of a gardener, and they had a little conversation, and she did not recognize him. It took only this, that our Lord said her name, Mary. And at the tone of the voice and the way that she had heard him say it so many times before, she immediately recognized our Lord. She believed now that Christ had risen from the dead, and she became the apostle to the apostles. Then the other apostles, still doubting, well, they would not believe the word of a woman, and so they continued to remain in doubt. So the same day, how long of a day that must have been for them, with so much uncertainty and so much grief and sadness, they were gathered together in a room. The gospel says the doors were shut, and our Lord, walking through the door, passing through it, appeared to them. Once our Lord showed them his wounds, the apostles believed that our Lord had risen. And then there was Thomas, poor Thomas the doubter. He wasn't there with the other apostles that day, but St. Bernard, almost speaking to St. Thomas the Apostle, says to him, you are deceived, Thomas, in hoping to see the Lord when you are separated from the company of the apostles. The truth does not love holes and corners, and it takes no pleasure in places apart. Rather, he, divine truth, loves common discipline, common life, and common studies. You see, St. Thomas had left the other apostles once he heard the story from the disciples of Emmaus. To him, it says in St. Luke, that their words, the disciples' words, seemed as idle tales to Thomas. He wouldn't believe, and so he departed their company at that time. And now the apostles, who had just seen our Lord, run to Thomas and they tell, to tell him, we have seen the Lord, and we have seen his wounds. He has risen, as he said. But his response was interesting. He was very sad at this point because he wasn't there with the other apostles when they saw him. So he didn't see our Lord at the same time as the others. And this made him grow quite sad and quite bitter. So the response he gives is actually to be read with a bitter tone. Until I see those, the print of the nails and put my finger into the wound and thrust my hand into his side, I will never believe. Those were bitter words. And the state of poor Thomas's soul at that moment was so very dangerous 
Cornelius Alapide, who's a great author on scriptural subjects, said that Thomas had sinned in six ways. First, he had sinned by unbelief. Second, by his obstinacy. Thirdly, by his pride. And fourthly, his irreverence. The fifth sin he committed was of presumption because he presumed, he dared, to lay down laws for Christ before he would believe. And then sixthly, he persisted in disbelief for those full eight days. His soul was in great danger. But Christ, who always beholds the hearts of the children of men, took pity on Thomas, drawing him little by little. The apostles were gathered together. It was the eighth day after the resurrection. This time Thomas was with them. And Christ condescended, think of it, he humbled himself enough to appear this second time just so that Thomas could see him. And coming directly to Thomas, not the other apostles, but to Thomas, he said, Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. See how Christ, for one single soul, came back to display his wounds. But did you know the other, notice the other detail in the scripture? The details in scripture are, are just wonderful. When you see them, they're great. Christ used the very same words to Thomas that Thomas had just used so bitterly. Unless I see and unless I put my finger into his wounds, and here our Lord uses those same words, reach here and place your finger here, Thomas, as if to say to, that to Thomas, did you think that I couldn't hear you, what you had said when I wasn't present? And nevertheless, our Lord accedes to all those presumptuous requests that Thomas gave him. He heals his disbelief because not only did he see the wounds of Christ and could now believe that Christ had risen, but up to this point, Thomas did not believe Christ to be God. So by showing him that he read his heart, he knew what he said when he was not present. He healed that wound of disbelief too. And Thomas, falling to the ground, says that act of faith that we say at the elevation of every Mass, my Lord and my God. He had drawn Thomas unto himself. From the biggest doubter, Thomas became, in a sense, the greatest apostle, greatest in this sense, that he covered more territory preaching the name of Christ, preaching the resurrection of Christ. He covered more territory than all of the others. He went to India and China. 
He even came to the Americas. He is our apostle. What a beautiful thought. St. Francis de Sales says, We ought to adore the divine goodness, which from all eternity named you by your name and designed to save you, destining for you, amidst many other things, this present day, that on it you might perform works of piety and salvation, according as the prophet says, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore have I drawn thee, taking pity on thee. The King of Hearts today beholds yours and is drawing it ever closer to himself today. He draws us, pay attention, in so many different ways according to the dispositions of the soul of the individual. Some he will draw by sweet consolations. Others he will only draw by divine vengeance. Still others by the trials and crosses of everyday life. And some who seek to put, find their happiness and their joy in material things well, he will permit them to experience an emptiness of heart, not knowing where to go or what to do. It is only when we see and submit to his drawing of us that we will find the peace he wished to his apostles that day. So. On account of all this, we ought to do one thing, to fully unite our wills to that of our most benign and merciful Heavenly Father. May God bless you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.